So Promise Church, I'm looking at this church as a, as as you know, with with fresh eyes again for 2020. And uh, once again, I just wanted to affirm the three things that we've set out as a congregation that we were going to push towards. Um, the first one is our Promise Groups in 2020. And I am blessed that we have a congregation where we have six Promise Groups that are launching. And uh, those leaders have been given names or chosen names, um, self-selected where every single individual that comes to the churches is um, and should be invited. If you've not yet received your invite, Promise Leaders um, are working on that now to get your invites out. And uh, this, this is a place where we can know our community, where we can know who we are, get to know each other personally, and build our faith. Um, and, and so we're really, really blessed and excited about it. Another thing we're working on is independence. Um, and so legal independence gives us uh, our own uh, charitable number, so we aren't making checks payable to Willowdale Pentecostal Church anymore. We build our board, and we will be building a membership inside of all of that process. And so we've got 2020 that we're working through that process. It's background work, really boring, but really what it's doing is it's building the integrity of our church. And so we get to say, okay, so this is, this is what membership looks like. And, and uh, this might be the first time that I'm actually mentioning that formally as membership. That's actually part of our independence process. And so that's going to be coming inside of 2020. And then the last thing is, is growing and strengthening our children and youth. Uh, we're doing that through, uh, through our kids' programs. They're going to be growing in 2020. We already have plans to see them develop and, and grow. We are growing our youth ministry, and, uh, and we're so excited about youth on Monday nights, and that's just, just a lot of fun, um, really is, and it's a great place where we're, we're developing and, and moving people. And, uh, and also um, with Awana. Awana has been a huge addition inside of Promise Church, and it's a partnership that happens, like it, it's located at St. John's Presbyterian, but when you look at, at the people of Awana and, and so much that's going on there, there is so much of promise in that, and, uh, and, and we are, we're leaning into that as, a, uh, as part of who we are and what we're doing. And so these are some of the resolutions that we've set for 2020, that we've said these are things that are happening and are worthwhile and exciting and, uh, and so we're, we're just praying that you guys continue to keep it in prayer and continue to, to help us push this forward and, and move it forward. You know, it's, uh, it is a really interesting thing that John just put us through this, this time of silence because oftentimes in the, in the vacation, you know, or sorry, in, in the holidays, we're so busy. And, uh, and one of the things that New Year's brings to us should be a time to rest and reevaluate. Should be a time to say, hey, this is, this is kind of where things are at. This is, you know, take an address of the family or address of the nation kind of thing and just be like, this is where we're at. This is our reality. And, uh, and, and I trust that people have been doing that. And even in this silence time where, where we get to evaluate and say, hey, this is, this is what's happening. And so it's, it's really cool. Let me, let me pray because we need it. God needs to speak to us today. Um, and, uh, and I believe that he will through his word. Let me pray. God, I thank you for New Year's in Canada. I thank you that you are that you are doing a good work. You are doing a great work. You are doing a work that we rely on 
more than we even acknowledge sometimes. God, I pray that in today's service that, that our element of what we contribute would pale in comparison to what we see you contributing to the world and to our lives. God, that, that we would see ourselves as less and see you as more. And Jesus, I pray that that, that would be something that develops in this service, that it would be something that develops in our life and in our spiritual hope, that increasingly our eyes would be turned to you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my kids got to make it through the traditional New Year's Eve vigil. They made it. They got all the way to midnight for the first time in their lives. Happily, my wife made it as well. <laughs> and so we were, we were good. We, we actually did it. And so that's, that's kind of fun. You know, it's the, it's the first time the kids have made it up all the way to midnight. And, you know, I, I, I think that's a kind of monumental moment. But how many people actually still stay up to midnight to celebrate the New Year's? I need to see big hands. How many people actually, did you make it? Did you make it? All right. So the people that didn't put up their hands, they're like looking around going like, oh, wow, lots of people still do it. Um, and so this is something that we, that we do as our, as, our, as our culture. We just stay up till midnight. I, we have a friend, a missionary um, in Japan, and so it was 10 o'clock in the morning when she's like, Happy New Year's! And we're like, right! That's happened already. It's so cool to, to have a missionary friend in Japan. Um, Michelle Reynolds, if you're not connected with her, you can find her on Facebook or Missionary in Japan or something like that. Facebook, yeah. You'll see her. Anyways, uh, Michelle Reynolds is awesome. Uh, look for her on my Facebook page. You can even do it now on your tablet. No, don't sign into Facebook on your own thing. We'll do mean things. Um, <laughs> and so um, we do, we celebrate this and we, and we stay up all night. This sermon series has been about kind of the traditions that we do. And I was looking into some Canadian traditions uh, for celebrating the New Year's. And I found that, well, they... It's really just stand around and wait till midnight. That's what we do. <laughs> like, I went to New York City once because Times Square looks so cool on TV, and you always watch the Times Square show, and it's so awesome. It's really terrible to go. Don't go. It's off. Actually, I went with Crystal. She was there. We stood. There were six of us. We stood in a circle that was like, okay here. Our bodies were always in contact. We showed up at 6 o'clock p.m. and we were packed into this spot. You couldn't go pee. You couldn't move. There was security everywhere and you're just standing here and then you think you hear somebody say Happy New Year so you check your phone. Oh look, Happy New Year! And then the crowd disperses. It's so anticlimactic. Don't go to New York city, don't do Times Square, really boring. But that's what the vigil is. Sometimes we get lucky and get to do f see fireworks, though. Did anybody see fireworks? I saw two fireworks. Some of my backyard neighbors let them off, pointed them at my house. Um, it was awesome. Was that you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it was great. Um, so fireworks are sometimes something we do. But really, the reason we're doing it is because, you know, we, we, you've gone around the sun one more time. Uh, and, and there's some significance to that, but, 
you know, we're, we're looking at it and going, where do we find our meaning in it? Where do we find purpose in it? And, and what we've used it as is a calendar marker to say, okay, this is what happened last year. This is what I'm hoping for next year. You know what's really interesting? In my research, I never, I never actually found anybody who's hoping that next year would be worse than this year. I, I just, I was looking, I'm looking all over social media, I'm looking for somebody to say, you know, 2019 was amazing, I really anticipate 2020 to just suck. Like, I'm going to make resolutions to make sure that happens. Like, I didn't see one person do that, it just didn't happen. And, uh, and so, that's, you know, that, that, was, that was really interesting. Um, I think that there is, inside of that though, something that's pretty significant. And this is where we're going, this is going to lead into the text that we're going to study today. I think that inside the fact that none of us wish for something worse, none of us resolve to do worse this year than we did last year, I think that there's a belief inside of our culture that says that if something bad happened to you, it was probably in some way your fault and we take on that blame or, or you could do better next year and we take on that responsibility. And, and at the bottom of everything, we, we tend to think, we tend to think that good fortune falls on those who are resolved and disciplined. We tend to think that bad fortune falls on those that have no re resolution and don't really engage and, well, kind of bad things happen. We, you know, it's, it really goes back to the old human belief that says, that says good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. We know that's not true. Ultimately, we know that's not true. We know that bad things happen to good people, and we know that good things happen to bad people. The Bible's full of stories of that. Our experience tells us that. But somewhere underneath all of it, we kind of fall into this, well, if you do good, good's going to happen. If you do bad, bad's going to happen. And it's a, it's a quasi. We wouldn't, we wouldn't call it karma, but our culture kind of believes in a karma-esque karma idea. You know, where where that's that's just the way it is. We want to be successful, and we want to take credit for the hard work. That those are those are things that resolve inside of these. You know, I'm gonna read. I think I, I saw a bunch of people say I'm gonna I'm gonna read 25 or 50 books. I saw t those two numbers were pretty significant on on social media. I'm gonna read 25 books this year, and then some of my you know more more crazy social social media friends. I'm gonna read 50 books this year. I'm like, did you do the math on that? What qualifies as a book, really? Because maybe <laughs> um, it's uh, it's a hard thing to read to read that much. And I mean, there are some that do it. They just they love reading. And so, but these are things that we invest in. We invest in um, trying to improve ourselves, like it's totally our responsibility. And I think that that's where the text that we're going to look at today. It's Psalm one twenty one. The text that we're going to look at today really pushes against that cultural norm, cultural expectation, and it leaves us with some tough questions. The text today is going to make us sit on this foundational truth, that God and God alone is the one who holds our fortune in his hand. And by fortune, I mean our, our future, our, our hopes, our aspirations. He is the one who holds our fortunes. 
He is the one who both temporally in this life and ultimately in the next life, he is the one who holds it. And so this is a, this is a really interesting psalm. We're going to read it, and then we're just going to go through it today. The whole message is going to be built on this one psalm. And we're going to learn in our hearts a place of commitment that says, God, I offer you all of my hopes, all of my dreams, and all of my trust. And so let's read the psalm today. I love this psalm. It's, I grew up with this psalm. It's one of my favorites. Um, but let's read it. I lift my eyes. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What a hope. What a hope. The Lord will keep your life. Just absolute beautiful hope in that message. Beautiful sense of like, wow, my help comes from God. I want to dig into a little bit of just a little bit of the history that I'm going to say how this applies to our life. The, this is the second of 14 Psalms of Ascent. There are, there are 14 Psalms in, inside of the, the, uh, the hymnal, which is the book of Psalms. There are 14 of them that were sung traditionally on a pilgrimage to the temple of God. Um, it's expected for every Israelite in their lifetime to make an aliyah. Um, an aliyah is a climbing to the temple mount or to go up. That's the Hebrew word for going up, and it's used to climb to the temple mount. And in synagogues today, it's used to being called up to read Torah. And so that's where we get that term aliyah from. And it emphasizes the place of God. It says, this is where we meet with God. We go up to the temple mount. We meet with God. We are transformed in the presence of God. And then we return to our life carrying the blessing of God. This is, this is what happens here. So we've got this, this progressive growth where we're climbing and, and so you'll notice, actually, if you read the, the Bible, that uh, mountaintops become places for theophany. Theophany is the revelation of God. So they become the places where God is revealing himself in a very unique and special way. So we see that happening with Noah. Noah's on a mountain when the ark lands, and God says, gives him a commission, says, go 
and, and prosper in the land. And here's a rainbow as a sign of a covenant that I will never flood the earth again. We see it again with Moses. We see Moses um, going up Mount Sinai to hear the way that humanity should be living in the presence of God. So we see this, this theophany, this mountain experience. Uh, we see Elijah. Elijah is, is on a mountain, and he has this huge experience with God. And, uh, and, and we see that Jesus in the transfiguration and also in the Sermon on the Mount, which is our next sermon series. So we've got these mountain experiences which become these moments where God reveals himself. When the temple's placed in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, we continue this mountain experience, this climbing up to meet with God. And so Jews today still perform aliyahs. They, they make an aliyah, and they go and they climb up the mountain of God, and they, they meet with God, um, and, and they pray. And so for us, what do we do to meet with God? Because I think there might only be a couple people in this room who may have traveled to Israel and to Jerusalem. Um, and so what do we do to meet with God? How do we meet with God? In Romans, uh, the Bible says that where two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus, he is right there in our midst. He is right there with us. And so what we do to meet with God is we come together on a Sunday and we say we're setting apart this time in our life where we are going to meet with God, where God is going to speak to us, where we're going to learn something of God and God is going to change our lives. We get molded and formed when we come to a church service that is able to allow us to connect and meet with God. Um, and so the practice of coming to church is this continued climbing the mountain to meet with God, this continued, I'm going to go meet with God. And so when we gather together as the body of Christ, we have a time and an opportunity, if we so take it, to allow God to speak to us. He speaks to us in a couple ways when we gather on a, on a Sunday. He speaks to us through worship, the music part, where sometimes the words of the song, they just catch your heart, and they're just really, like, in-depth, and you're just like, oh, okay. He meets us in, in our times of prayer, like that time of silence that we had. If we engage that, then God is able to meet with us. If we don't engage it, we can miss it. We could just walk through service and just be like, oh, that was interesting, or worse, that was entertaining. We come for the purpose of meeting with God. We can meet God through the word of another person, another person who loves God. We meet with God through the word, and they speak words to us of life and encouragement and hope, and they build into us. Um, and so that's, that's how we do it. We meet God in the reading of Scripture. And, uh, and so those are, those are all places where we hear God's voice, where we're connected with him. And so we as a church community, fall into these psalms of ascent as a place where we meet with God, as a place where, where we consider. And so one of the things that happens is as the, as the Jews, even today, they climb up through the city of Jerusalem. And as they climb through the city of Jerusalem, they're led in singing these psalms. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And they're singing these songs, and, and they're just reminding themselves of the fact that God is doing something. So let's take a look at what 
goes on inside of this psalm for us today. Because it's an amazing New Year's peace for us. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? This is the only action the psalmist takes in the entire psalm. This is the only resolution the psalmist makes. He says, I will lift my eyes to the mountains or to the hills. Where does my help come from? There's, a, there's an evaluative question that so often in our New Year's tradition, we build into the idea that I will help myself. I will be the person that's going to improve my life. And the psalmist, in the discipline of the ascent, says, I lift my eyes up to the place where I meet God. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? Because it's not coming from me. I don't have that. So, where, where are we looking to for our help, for the improvement in our life? What is it in your life that you rely on that's going to allow you the, the security to say, okay, it's going to get better? What is it in your life that you can do that's going to add an ounce to your life, as Jesus put it? What are you going to do that's going to, that's going to increase your value as a human? And we take a look at all these resolutions, and sometimes we look at them and we realize, wait, wait. I might have good resolutions. I have a great resolution this year. I have a resolution to stop paying for a gym membership I don't use. Right? <laughs> it's good. It's good. Um, I'm sure somewhere underneath all of that, there is a resolution to figure out what the heck I'm going to do because I've tried a few things in the year and and I'm just not getting there yet, but right now the resolution is stop wasting money. And that's going to improve something in, in my budget, at least. Like, it's going to help. But ultimately, it's, it's good, but ultimately, how much power do I have to change my life? Now, that's a challenging question because it flies in the face of every social media meme and common knowledge and common wisdom. How much power do I have to create good in my life versus evil? I'll tell you what power I really do have. I have the power to create evil or to stop myself from doing evil. But I don't have the guarantee that if I do this good thing and this good thing and this good thing, I don't have the guarantee that I've ultimately improved my life. I just don't. I don't control that much. So I'm not trying to say, oh, don't do good things. But I am trying to say what the psalmist says here. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? I don't lift my eyes up to my own ability to manufacture good. Because I might be in a place in my life where stuff is going 
on that I actually don't control. That there's stuff in my life that no matter what good practices I do, no matter what I try, no matter what I push forward on, I will suffer defeat. It's just what's happening unless God steps in. There was a way to look at it this way. It says it was it's just a little pithy saying. Your miracle will happen at the end of your ability to create it. Your miracle can only happen at the end of your ability to create it. It's a heavy statement. Your miracle will only happen at the end of your ability. If you have if you if you have means to improve like to do something to to facilitate something anything whatever good goal you might have good on you go ahead but when you want to look to god and you want to say god i need to see a miracle in my life man that you just get to the point where you're just like i can't do this i can't do this unless god comes through unless I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This next line, and you see it on the screen, this next line pushes our thinking. It pushes our thinking because, because we, have, we have to think of a God who made heaven and earth. We have to think in terms of scope. The scope of God's responsibility is meant to dwarf my trite attempt to improve my life. No matter what I do, when I look at the next line of this this psalm, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who makes heaven and earth. My help comes from God. He's the one who made heaven and earth. And it's not just like a little, oh, creationist, you know, throw out, and here it is, God created heaven and earth in six days, yada, 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 and all that other nice stuff. No, think about the, the power behind a God who actually created heaven and earth. Put yourself into that place and say to God, Oh, I, I could do more than you can do. I, I got this, God. I'll fix my problem. I got this, God. I'll improve my life. I, I got this. It's okay, God. I don't need your help. No. I look to God. Where does my help come from? He is the maker of heaven and earth. His scope, his responsibility is far greater than my responsibility. This does two things. One, it dwarfs me. And two, it increases my ability to trust him. When I think of any element of creation and the detail and the management and the artistry that goes into any form of creation, I recognize that God has me beat on every single level. I can trust a God like that. I can trust a God like that. The scope of God's responsibility is, is meant to dwarf my trite attempt to improve my life kind of makes my problems come into a little bit of a better perspective. The hope I have in the world is not that I overcome, but that God overcomes. The hope I have is that God does something that I couldn't do. And God sets liberty, and God sets freedom, and God sets hope. And it's something that I just can't do. I can join with him, 
as he gives me grace. Now get a load of this. Um, actually, I was jumping ahead of myself. The next, the next piece says, he will, not be, he will not let your foot be moved. He will not let my foot be moved. What I've learned is that, is that ultimately, this God that I trust, he's the one that becomes that rock in my hard place. He's the one that says, I've, I've got you through hell and high water. I remember being, and I'm just going to make this really quick, I remember being homeless. Um, my life went into decay in 2002, uh, and it was terrible. And I lost everything, except for my family. But I was homeless. There was no place for me to go. Life was, was rock bottom, and it was awful. I have lots of memories from that. But one of the memories I have was walking through a rainstorm one day, yelling at God, because I'd put all my faith in God, and I was like, you know, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? And this is crap. Like crap. It's not working, God. And I was livid. And uh, I, as I was walking just a suburban street, I was actually walking on uh, um, Weldrick Avenue in Richmond Hill. And as I walked past the set of parks, there was a, there was a green box, a green electrical box. And that green electrical box just went like, it just triggered something in my mind. It was, it was this quasi-vision. I mean, I was still seeing, but I was also imagining in my head. And, and it, was this, it was this green electrical box. And this is so, like, it worked for me. I hope it communicates well. But it was this green electrical box. And it was hovering in this space. And then, and then around this green electrical box is this soap bubble. And at this soap bubble, there were arrows being shot and just poof, right through the soap bubble. Just, I mean, a soap bubble is no defense against an arrow. And it's just right through. Just, poof, you just see the ripples. And somehow the soap bubble still is there, but you just see the ripples of, like, the impact of the arrow just going right through. And, and God's like, that's your life. That's your life right now. Where you exist as this soap bubble. You exist right now and arrows are penetrating and destroying your life and causing ripples and, and causing destruction and it's causing pain and it sucks. That's your life right now. And he let me see inside the soap bubble and he saw this green box and I don't know why it's a green electrical box. There's no reason except for the fact that not one arrow could ever impact that box. Not one arrow could make a difference. Not one arrow was ever able to stand against the fact that if God is for me, then nobody can stand against me and nothing can actually stop this from happening. And God said, I am that green box of immovable power in your life. No matter what is happening in your situation here in 2002, walking on Weldrick, where you're feeling like you're just recovering from being homeless, you're just like, you're, you're, your life is a mess, your foot will not be moved. It will not be moved. Your circumstances do not determine your eternal situation. Your circumstances do not make God blink an eye. He's like, I've got you. I am there with you. And that was powerful. That is powerful. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not slumber or sleep. And this is, this is the last one that I want to pull out of this psalm. Um, he will not slumber or sleep. Guys, how many people know that there are elements of life that's just exhausting? 
I know this in my own life. There's just, there are things that you put your heart and mind into, and it's exhausting and it's hard. And, and, and in this psalm of ascent where we've, where we've said the only action we have is to look to God, where God is going to carry us through, he says, he says he's not going to slumber or sleep. Guys, God allows us to put our energy into things. He allows us to put our energy even into the things that he is doing. I've learned a huge lesson over the past few months. On Thanksgiving, God asked me to, well, my doctor asked me. <laughs> God spoke through my doctor, I guess. He was like, you are in desperate need of reducing your workload. Otherwise, you are going to end up in the hospital. And I had to. I had to reduce my workload, and some of you know this. I, I reduced to a 30-hour work week, and it was hard because I love to work. I love my job, and I love this church. And, uh, and I had to reduce to a 30-hour work week until the new year. And so, so there I was, and, and in this time of lessened work, I was able to do less. I had to put ideas on hold. I had to just stop for a bit because I was tired. And, and he will not slumber or sleep. This is what I learned. I learned that God gives us the grace to join with him in what he is already doing. That's a move of grace. God does not need us to do anything. But he allows us to join in what he's already doing. He doesn't slumber or sleep. The work of the kingdom of God is going to continue whether I lift my hand or not. And the joy that comes in that moment when I could say, God, I'm exhausted. I'm done. I'm letting go for a bit. And God's like, cool, I got this. And he carries it through, and he builds it, and he works. And then, and then you put your hand back to the plow when, when, when you're ready, and you say, okay, I'm good. Let's go again. And God's like, yep, let's keep going. He gives us the grace to work alongside him. It's his grace that allows us to even have a purpose. And he says, here's your purpose. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can offer. Take what you can. Take what you will. Push yourself. Do what you can. But know, ultimately, I don't slumber. I'm not giving up on this. I'm not giving up on building your life. God's saying to you, I'm not giving up on building your life. God's saying to you, I am that strong foundation that you can build your life on. And he's saying to you that you can continue on with this raising to the mountain, to coming to church every single week saying, God, this is where my help comes from. My help comes from you where I meet with you, maker of heaven and earth. There are people in this room that have never really met with God yet. There are people in this room that have, that have participated in church, that you've done the church thing and you've been around, but your meeting with God is, is you're just like, I, I don't know, what, what do we mean? What do we mean by this is we know we've met with God when we can take that, that burden off of ourselves and let it go. Jesus says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. There, there's a time where we meet with God where we say, God, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you. And we take that burden off of ourselves, that expectation, and we say, okay, God, I'm ready to give you my trust. I'm ready to say, I'm going to meet with you. And we, and we do that through the person of Jesus. One of the ways that we express that in our church is we do it in baptism. 
and we say that, yep, this is time. I have offered my life to you, God. I've taken it off of myself. I've looked to God, the only one that can help me. And I've said, here you go, God. Here you go. And so, once again, I'm going to toss it out there. We're going to be doing a baptism service, hopefully, in, uh, I, th- I don't know, actually. I think it'll be February. It might be as late as March. I'm making it up right now. But there is a spot on your tablet that says, I need to get baptized. And you click on that, and you say, yeah, that's what needs to happen. I need to get baptized. I need to have that moment with God where I say, I'm giving up, and I'm trusting you. Because I believe that Jesus is the way to be with God. And he is the only way. Guys, I was going to tell you something really cool about the church, but I can't. I'm out of time. Um, <laughs> there's some really cool stuff. I'm going to push that to next week. And, uh, and, and God is good. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here. Text messages are going to be used for the, uh, for the forum. Uh, if you actually gave a text message last week or this week, um, they will be used for the forum. And we're excited about some of the stuff we're hearing forum is next week. We're really excited about how we're going to talk about Christmas, how we're going to talk about what we do with it coming out for next year, and how we, and how we actually celebrate Christmas all throughout the year. Um, there's going to be some great content that comes out of the forum next week, and so I'm excited about the way that, that works. God, I pray that you would allow us to lift our eyes up to the hills because we know where we meet with you. We know that we meet with you When we gather together, God, open up our hearts so that we can meet with you, so that you can form us and change us. And God, for for the people that you're calling out, that you're saying, hey, you need to trust me with your life. You need to give it all to me. God, I pray that they would be able to respond. That they would be able to respond in faith, saying, yeah, you know what? This God that we serve is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the only one who who can build my fortune He's the only hope that I have. In Jesus' name, amen.